Hey, everybody, and welcome uh, to a conversation with, um, and I, I would say Mikey Opp, but that's not right. Mike <laughs> Oppenheim. How are you today, Mike? I'm doing uh, really good. Uh, yeah. And uh, Mike does a show called Coffin Talk, amongst other things, uh, that you can find at MikeyOpp.com. But uh, I met him through Coffin Talk, and we had uh, a discussion on there, which was really quite interesting. And uh, I mean, his his life right now is running at a million miles an hour because he's got a baby on the way. So congratulations. And um, it, which is kind of it's kind of the flip side. Right. So coffin talk and a baby on the way. It's a little bit incongruent there. You, you want to tell us a little bit about your thinking and all this? Yeah, sure. Well, um like it or not, as far as like being who I am, metaphysics has just always inspired and intrigued me. Um, I wasn't raised religious and I'm still not really religious, but I'm extremely philosophically curious and spe specifically about metaphysics, the greater mm -hmm. question of why are we here? So having children is just like super fun from all those angles because you get to see what you remember experiencing only now you're like an outsider looking at down and in um, right. and so as I'm about to have my third kid, it's uh, it's always amazing to me because at first you're like, oh, that's from the mom, that's from the dad, that's me, that's her. But then like as they get older, you're like, oh, never mind. They're just yeah, it, it all it all goes out the window, doesn't it? Sometimes totally. So that kind of leads me to really think about like, you know, we we're into science in this culture and we're really into like denying religion, and that doesn't bother me one way or the other, but even science can't explain animus just like this crazy thing that like two people procreate and out comes this own being that develops its own consciousness. So yeah. So I'm, I'm all into this. <laughs> That's wild. So the, the interesting thing you, you talk, why are we here? So, <clears throat> you know, you've got three children, so I'm guessing that your outlook is pretty bright uh, for yourself at least because you know, a lot of times when people say, why are we here? It tends to steer towards the negative. You know, it's more of a hands on their head, you know, on their head down and so forth. Why are we here? What's the purpose? <laughs> so you must take a, the opposite of that, though. Uh, definitely. And I think it's also because um, there's probably three contributing factors that chronologically developed me differently. One is my parents are kind of absurdly like weird people who raised me near Berkeley, California, and they didn't raise me with religion, but they did raise me with spirituality. So they were very mm -hmm. into uh, meditation. So they taught me to meditate when I was like eight. So I always felt like a weirdo at school because like I was the kid who like meditated and his parents meditated. And then now flash forward, I'm 42. So like 30, 35 years later, meditation's like, you know, in every pop-up ad on the internet and like, it's all it <laughs> talked about. It's so the I feel end like thing, yeah. It's in. Yeah, yeah. So that's the yeah, first. Yeah, that's interesting. So, would you say having that kind of a uh, uh, a childhood and kind of essentially starting out? Because um, I think a meditation is kind of a self, uh, uh, kind of a self help. Uh, not really self help. I don't want to say self help in a negative sense, but I mean, you're you're concerned about yourself and you're trying to help yourself do uh, soothe any kind of problems that you may have. And meditation helps you relax and and calms all the anxiety of of the uh, of the world. I would say. So starting with that, because most people don't, I would say at least not in the age group, right? Um, 
uh, I guess that you, that helped you then. This has been great for you. You you've got yeah. through all these an- anxious times with this, right? Uh, yes and no, because, uh, like most adolescents, I quit from like 13 to about 20. So I, uh, was like, screw this healthy thing that my parents (laughs) do, you know? Um, so that was a lot of anxiety years, 13 to 20, as I'm sure you recall slash can imagine. So, um, so, but actually the reason I started again was, um, when, uh, September 11th happened, I called my mom Mm -hmm. in like just total disarray. I was 20 years old. And I was like, hey, mom, uh, you know, I've kind of felt like since I was a teenager and I learned about American foreign policy that this was a long time coming. And I feel really guilty because I feel not any allegiance or alliance with the people who attacked us, but I understood their pathology. And that already made me feel like such an outsider because I didn't hear anyone around me talking about that. So I called her feeling guilty and she said, why don't you just meditate and see where your thoughts land? And I was Mm -hmm dumbfounded by the advice it like never had occurred to me so i started meditating again that day september 11th 2001 and i have never missed one i've meditated every day twice a day for 20 something years now so on on the 9 11 day so what time what time would you say where in the events would you say that 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 this all occurred for you actually yeah i think i might be conflating uh the 11th or the 12th because it's like a you know i was uh studying I was in college at the University of Pittsburgh, and I don't know if you recall, but like one of the four planes crashed uh, in mm-hmm. a place called Somerset, Pennsylvania, right, yeah, and everyone in Pittsburgh was like, they were trying to attack us. The internet was invented here, which is true, but uh, yeah. no, not at all. They were not. <laughs> <laughs> that was not at all what happened, but it's still like, so my brother lived in Manhattan and worked near the World Trade Center, so my mom, mm-hmm. I remember her being like, my two babies are under attack, like, right. you know, it was like, um, oh, so where was I amidst all that? Yeah, it was it was interesting. And again, like, uh, you know, especially now when I hear like about, you know, air quotes, Gen Z people saying they understand Osama bin Laden, I just want to make it damn clear a second time. I wasn't (laughs) in any way on that track. What I was though, was like, I always felt guilty about being an American in such an affluent era. And, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't feel guilty anymore. I feel differently, but I wouldn't use the word guilt, but, uh, and so meditation is actually a great way to deal with the, thoughts and feelings you have because at least the version i do you're not allowed to like block or encourage thoughts you're just forced to like be aware and so in that awareness you get comfortable with thoughts that don't feel like you're they're your own and then the more you do it you start to see all thoughts as not really your own That's interesting. and uh yeah so so then do um, you believe in kind of the zeitgeist of things that we're all connected out in the ether and essentially we all share thoughts as people it's just some can tap into it better than others yeah and i don't even know if better would be the word i'd use not that i wouldn't use that i just don't know if i would go that step like far Mm -hmm. i just i do believe in as carl Jung called it like the universal consciousness and i also think Mm -hmm. like you're you're a fellow entertainer you know that ideas aren't really original it's just first to market like um, (laughs) every yeah that's that's great Uh, yeah First time, that's uh, great. Yeah, like I love Dave Chappelle and I love uh, Richard Pryor and I love modern comedians, but I feel like all of them know deep down that like the premise isn't really anyone's, and so that's why joke telling is so fun and interesting. Yeah, that, that's funny though because you do see. Well, for instance, you see the trends. So you just mentioned a trend. So meditation is kind of 
at the forefront now where when you were younger, it was, you know, it was kind of hooey, you know, oh, meditation. And that's the way everybody treated it. And then now that it's come to the forefront, then people are taking it more seriously. Um, and they can, and there's obviously benefits, right? It's not just, you know, you're taking a nap or something. It's you actually are processing, right? Which everybody does all day. It's just a lot of times you don't, um, aren't aware, right? So you're constantly yeah. processing these, these feelings, these thoughts, these interactions and so forth in the background, right? And uh, if you take some time, meditate, then you're, you're bringing that to the foreground and you can kind of do a better job, I think, uh, at, at processing all that. And so then you don't feel, um, well, to be, you know, for lack of a better term, so bad. I mean, a lot of people feel mm -hmm. really bad at the end of a day because they never take time to really process what happened during that day, I think. So that's interesting. So twice a day, you, you meditate twice a day. And do you have a, you know, what are the parameters? Like, is there certain things that have to be just right for you? Or is it, you know, you could be on the bus and do it? No, yeah. I've, my favorite place to meditate is on airplanes. And my favorite memory of an awesome meditation was actually in the backseat of my friend's cars. Uh, they were all smoking weed on the way to a Radiohead concert. And I was like, hey, guys, I got to meditate before I can hit that. And they're like, what? And I, you know, I just, I used to be so embarrassed about it. And one day I was just like, I can't be embarrassed because I'm never going to be able to do it. So I just closed my eyes and I meditated. And I remember like some minutes in, I would never know because I wasn't looking at a clock. But at some point in that 20 minute period of meditation, I zoomed off into where you always transcend into, which is just like, ultimate consciousness bliss joy like there's really no way to like describe it but it's a euphoria without memory of euphoria like it's a very mm. distinct and awesome feeling but it's not the goal of meditation to get that feeling that feeling is more of like a side effect and it's mm. not always uh, i have many friends who meditate and they don't always hit it i hit it like pretty much every meditation now but that's also because i've been doing it for so many years i think you right. know well, and yeah, practice, right? Practice, practice. Yeah, it is a practice-driven thing because you have to get used to the frustration of, like, no matter what, the first minute of meditation for me is always a just shut up and sit still and don't mm -hmm. think. Like, don't, like, don't think about all the things you have to do later today because, you know, that'll just delay, like, the transcendence, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So, um, that yeah, I was going to ask you, is there, like, um, uh, do you have a mantra or anything to get you into that space to where, you know, for, for, I think, well, for myself, even for a lot of people, maybe you would, you would, you know, go through well, what I got to get done, you know, what's still left in the day, or you'd start, you know, uh, going into areas like just, uh, perseverating on things. Right. Because whenever you, it, it, you, it, they say quiet the mind, but the unfortunate thing is the mind doesn't really want to be quiet. That's uh, the yeah. job of the mind is not to be quiet, right? <laughs> um, and so, how do you get how do you get your your mind to be quiet? Well, this is why the the form of meditation I do is the one I recommend to everyone, um, and it's called it's very famous. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's called transcendental meditation. Mm -hmm. It was brought to America by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Uh, the Beatles practice it most famously, but also like Jerry Seinfeld swears by it. David Lynch does it. David like, I mean, Lynch, yeah. yeah, if you're into the movement, which I'm actually not, 
<laughs> at all. There are like celebrities and heroes, just kind of like Scientology, except without I think Andy like, Kaufman the... was in that too. Yes, well. he was super yeah. into it. Many mm-hmm. uh, comedians actually are into it, and I'm you know like, comedy is my favorite thing in the world. So <laughs> I, uh, um, but I will say this: the reason I recommend it to people despite many things I could go off on as far as the organization and stuff is that it is called effortless meditation. And the whole point of it is that no matter what, you can't screw up. There's the, yes, there's a mantra, but all the entire instructions um, is every time you realize you're not saying the mantra, start to say the mantra again. And that's it. That's the only instruction. Um, Close your eyes. Don't open them. Uh, You're not supposed to set a timer. Uh, Plenty of people I know do, but this is the other weird magical thing. Very often I'll close my eyes and I'll just get a feeling to peek at the clock and it's been exactly 20 minutes. I, I will oh, never really? understand that. Yeah, it mm-hmm. blows my mind. And I do 40 in the morning now. Like when I was in my early 30s, I started doing 40 in the morning and 20 in the afternoon just because I wanted to up it. And uh, also because if I miss an afternoon, then I still did my 40, if that makes sense. Like I banked. Yeah. I started. Yeah. So um, and uh, so by you... the way, I yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh. I, uh, the, the mantra, like the reason transcendental meditation charges money and like what they say is special is that they say the mantra is really special. Um, I've experimented by just saying like a random word instead of my mantra and I've still transcended, but I have a funny feeling that that's because like, once you get used to something, you can just do it. So I never tell people do or do not like seek out that specific version, but I do recommend to anyone who's interested in meditation that there's a million different flavors. It's like Baskin Robbins, but effortless is probably the way to go if you have an active mind, which is what we were discussing prior. So, so was this the the same as what you're whenever you were younger with your folks? Is that yeah. is that exactly the same? Okay, so it's carried on through the because yeah, I know that 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 um, there is a, a certain connotation uh, in the media and so forth with this, and even with David Lynch and and I'm uh, uh, you know to me it's it's almost. I always think, you know, people talk about religion. Religion is just another form of commercialization. To me. <laughs> um, you know, you just, instead of saying it's commercial, you say it's religion, but you know, the realities are that they're essentially doing the same uh, stuff. They're, they're branding things. They're, <laughs> they're, you know, holding things. They're trying to get you to, you know, do uh, to spend your money in a certain way. Um and so, yeah, to me, it's it's kind of the same. And so, I think, but I think in the in the in the uh, press and so forth, you've got uh, uh, kind of some negative connotations that have come out over the years. I think David Lynch was involved in some of that uh, a while back um, with with TMI and so forth. But I think the the core of it, though, and even the core of religion, right, the core of anything generally has good outcomes right it's going to give you something that's going to benefit you right uh it's how you get there is you know there's a million ways to get places so you just choose one that you like to go to maybe but um the uh to get back to the the idea of the meditation so at the end of the at the end of your session do you feel like it's lightened you i mean you know mood wise and you know worry wise and so forth yeah definitely um this is the point of the podcast where i can either choose to introduce something that is usually uh makes people here who hear it sad but it also would be the best evidence of why i love meditation so i'm gonna go ahead and do it um uh six years ago my ex-wife abducted my son and um oh my gosh that, yeah that experience was to say like 
it shook up my life would be quite the understatement. But without getting too much into that silly narrative and all the stupid details, I will just say that meditation is my bedrock and it was there for me in that time and it helped me more than anything. And um, and what I would say that the reason I brought that up and the reason I'm saying it, even though it bums people out, is that that's the best reason to meditate is that it's like there for you in good times and it's there for you in bad times because the whole point of it is to teach you that there's not really such a thing as good times or bad times. You're just here in life and life is full of waves. And if you want to call a wave good or bad, go ahead. But most people who enjoy life tend to just sit back and ride the waves, you know? Yeah. Well, now I have to ask you the question. I mean, this is, <laughs> I mean, you can ask anything. Well, I just didn't want, I didn't want to force you to talk about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. This, that I'm just sounds like a really bad situation. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine. Now, first of all, obviously, you had a relationship with this person, and then things, you know, took a different track, let's say. Mm -hmm. And you're now in this position where, you know, somebody that you obviously care about and love uh, is pried away from you. I mean, good golly, how do you... I mean, you're talking about this as, as a good way to, to deal with that, but I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough call there. I mean, there is nothing but anger in the situation, don't you think? Oh, I mean, it it was the biggest wake up call of my life because um, it taught me that I had anger. Like it, it like taught me a lot about myself, and then I had a really come to not Jesus moment because I don't like believe right. in Jesus, yeah. but I had a. I had a come to me moment where I really had to decide, am I going to go on the path of revenge or am I going to walk the path of peace and wait for my son to recognize that I'm a peaceful man and that I didn't deserve this, nor did I condone it, but I didn't make his life hell because uh, I know where they live. I know where he is and they're protected by a lot of wealth and the government of the country they're in. Mm -hmm. And uh, so as much as I wanted to fight it, even just the initial process with the state department and stuff, they basically told me, they're like, you're never going to win this. They're like, yeah, you, and, and I lost a lot of money and I, that made me angry. Cause I'm like, Oh, so in addition to like, cause we got a divorce and I gave her uh, way more than what my attorney or her attorney wanted. Like, mm -hmm. and I did it on purpose because I knew she was a very angry and vindictive person. And I was right. just trying to make sure she didn't do one thing. And guess what that one thing was? Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Take uh, my son. Yeah. So right. um, I tried right. to get it so she wasn't allowed to leave the country with him. I was told that that's um, abuse, which is hilarious to me. So instead, mm. uh, I had to let her leave the country, and she did, and she never came back. That's a horrible story. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't end well because it's not over yet, but uh, I can tell you that I do get to see him sometimes on the Skype calls and uh, I raised him for two straight years. He knows me. He seems to love me and he's also an eight year old. So I don't think he really cares right now. Like it doesn't, <laughs> right. you know, well, so that's actually the hardest a, part for me. Yeah. That's going to oh, be an awkward be, conversation yeah. later. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Hey, why, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of yeah. questions and hopefully yeah. that will all, um, work out to be good i mean you i've talked to you this is the second time we did our your your show with the coffin talk and so forth and it, you're a very positive person and so wow i mean it to me it's like you, you do you get to these branches right so life gives you uh 
ch- hard choices, right? Because you could be a pretty bitter person about this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, without anybody would never say, uh, why is he so bitter? Having known the backstory, they'd know it. They'd be like, yep, that's it, you know? Um, and to be so positive about things, that's just fantastic. Um, and I'm glad that uh, that you're able to do that. Uh, I think that's, you know, it's good for you personally, right? It's good yeah, for everybody. Well, and it is now my life direction is different. I used to be, um, I used to be obsessed with family and career, and now I'm obsessed with family and helping other people not become bitter, no matter what it is that ails them, whether it's like a freckle they don't like, or, mm-hmm. you know, someone drunk drive killing their kids, no matter what your bitterness, your anger, it's never going to be worth it. Like, you know, it's just, uh, everyone knows this on a deep level. So I, I actually, you know, I have that website at the bottom and, and what I do is I write, uh, intelligent, comical and philosophical essays that are designed to help people, uh, help themselves deal with just what I was talking about, the waves of life. Because I, again, like, sure my story has like teeth and it sounds like worse than some people's but that's really bs at the end of the day everyone just struggles you know well and and unfortunately that's kind of sad though isn't it i mean everybody everybody has a struggle for the most i mean maybe there's a few people who don't but most everybody has a struggle (laughs) um if if you don't then you know you're doing pretty well um but it, it is it is kind of interesting how we all know this, right? This is inherent. After you've been alive for a certain amount of time, it, you you know the pattern, right? And uh, yet we still, as people, um, have a hard time understanding other people going through things. Totally. Uh, do you think that's weird? Yeah, I do. And it's weird that... uh the most unspiritual thing to ever happen to me, what we're talking about ended up making me a million times more spiritual and more contemplative of everyone. And also just to like, never like, like assume the person who cut you off, just had their kid abducted, assume the person who like ignores you in a line or, you know, treats you like crap, uh, just found out something terrible or their parents in the hospital or their son or, you know, something like that. I I just, I give people like a much wider birth now, even like, in politics and that's the hardest area for me to be honest um (laughs) even there i just try to think i'm like well what did donald trump's parents do to make him feel this way and what did joe biden's parents do to make him feel this way you know i'm an all equal opportunity hater so um yeah like yeah Yeah, the politics is a weird one because my view on politics is there uh again unfortunately it sounds like my religious view is it's all you know commercialization of oh yeah of the operation of government and um yeah so and you know not to take a negative slant when i say this but to me they're they're all no good because if they were good they wouldn't be there and that becomes the thing because it becomes a whole um situation once you know you can be good before you get in the club but once you join the club you're kind of your goodness kind of washes away because you're in a system that's not good so yeah i think about this a lot but i also think about um so that show breaking bad i never understood the title until i did and it's mm-hmm. always funny to me because now it's what i think about the most which is some people are breaking bad which is very different than mm-hmm. saying they are bad and right. this nuance really helps me get through life because i see that if someone is breaking bad 
and you're breaking good or you're being good, be near them, like, like help them. Don't run from them and don't like ostracize them further because they're already breaking from where you are or where you think you are. So I, I, I try to like stay in the system basically is what I'm saying, you know, cause I agree with you. I a hundred percent agree that almost everything is just a commercial product at this point, including my website, you know, like, I mean, it's obvious mm-hmm. like to all of us, um, you know, the idea of an influencer is hilarious to me because like Plato was an original influencer, you know, and, and so was Aristotle. <laughs> but now like an influencer is someone who like you give them money to help you sell your product. That's very right. different than what like. Yeah. Yeah. No, instead of being like um, uh, thinking about the big questions of the day uh, and trying to offer at least some idea of a path. Right. Good or bad. Yeah. doesn't matter. Uh, they're just saying, you know, buy Chanel number five or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I like it's it's inter- I mean, so do do it, you see yourself yeah. as a, a as kind of a philosopher? I mean, you're talking about ri- your writing and so forth, and that very much is philosophical in in the sense there. Yeah, I do, and I think it's why I love stand up comedy and comedy because comedy is the last form of like naked curious philosophy you know um i'm so glad that people are starting to stop use the term cancel culture um Mm -hmm. for two reasons one as someone else has pointed out a million times uh you don't get canceled you just get a different audience so if you were left wing now the right wing (laughs) loves you and if you're right wing now the left wing loves you but the point is uh that was really bothering me because i think comedians we need somewhere in society for people to say unpopular things with cleverness and to get people thinking about the status quo. And so, yes, I am hundred percent a philosopher. Uh, I used to think that was embarrassing and now I embrace it because, you know, I'm just a stupid human and I'm here and I'm going to die. So <laughs> <laughs> again, the positive outlook that you have, is just shining right through I'm here. I'm going to die. You know, I mean, yeah. why make it worse for myself by being angry and bitter? I can just be happy and, and kind of prance along here and, you know, kind of like the, um, uh, I think it was uh, Snoopy or something, had the frolicking bunnies uh, over there, you know, and he's like, oh, the frolicking bunnies are so stupid. Uh, and then, you know, in the end, the frolicking bunnies were the were the, the thing that he wanted to do the most uh, because it was uh, so fun to do, right? It's kind of mindless yeah. in a way. But um, the uh, that's interesting. So... You didn't mention comedy and so forth. And so do you, um, you said stand-up comedy. So I'm guessing you do stand-up comedy. I, you know, are you doing gigs or what's your Oh, no, 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 no. Or you just like to listen or? I love to, it's so funny because I've done every form of entertainment except stand-up comedy professionally. And the reason I've never stepped into it is I don't ever want to become competitive and cynical and like a part of it i just want to always be a fan so like as much as i love comedy and as much as i have like decent public speaking skills i'm not in i'm not gonna fool myself into thinking that i a could do it professionally i mean first of all i hate staying up late um i can't stand it so uh right there (laughs) i'd be the best stand-up if i could only make it past nine (laughs) o'clock i mean i want i want I was saying this in my 20s, just so people who think I'm old for saying this. In my 20s, I was like, why don't concerts start at 3? Like, why are we all doing this to ourselves? Everyone should be at home in bed before it's super dark out. There's less drunk drivers. Like, why are you know? So I, uh, yeah. but That's um, funny. No, I just love comedy. That's all. Do you think that you're kind of uh, 
less than standard upbringing is part of this, or do you think that it is just ingrained in you as your uh, for yourself? You know, it's funny. This goes back to the yeah. This goes back to the having children thing. Watching my children has convinced me that I am just the weirdo I am, and I I'm like a a flower before you can see its petals. You couldn't see it coming, but now in reverse, it's so obvious that I bloomed the way I did. Like there's just a curiosity inside me, a huge sense of compassion, and then also a uh, I can't stop like participating like there's just this like thing in me that even though like there's so many soul crushing things out there i know deep down that whether or not there's meaning to this i want to stay here as long as possible and participate like i love just being uh, like conversations really it's just that's my favorite thing it's just talking to people oh that's interesting can i add so uh I'm I'm gonna take a guess and don't take this in any kind of negative, but so no way. I'm guessing Mike Op, uh, Mikey Op is not paying all the bills. Do you have to do other things to pay the bills? Yeah, no, no offense taken whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I do like a million things to make money, and so um, one of them is writing like on the Substack site. Another is selling novels that I've written. I have five or six published novels, and um, mm. and then the other job that I've been doing for the last ten years is I I work in publishing as a book indexer. So I write the indexes in the back of books. Um, oh, really? Is, yeah. That's it's super fun and weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, I totally fell into it. I was an ESL teacher for 10 years and then I was a typical restaurant worker while I played in bands when I was young. Um, but I love my wow. career in book indexing. That's, it's, there's another yeah. weird uh, observation here. So uh, with um, kind of, I guess you would call it internet, we'll just call it internet entertainment. How would we just coin that term today? If it's I like already that. coined. Um, because you and I both work in internet entertainment of some sort, and I've talked to a lot of people in that. So it's not necessarily, I mean, they can be in the, you know, mainstream entertainment, but, uh, you know, they do have this, uh, entertain, uh, internet aspect to it all. But anyway, have, who have been in bands, it seems mm -hmm. like, uh, unfortunately I haven't been in a band, but I know a lot of people who I talk to have been in a band and that seems to be some kind of. Um, rite of passage, I guess, for folks who are doing these kind of things. Would you would you agree with that, or what's your thought on that? I I haven't noticed it, so I would be lying if I said I'd noticed it. But now that you mention it, I can come up with ideas. But I can tell you that my story is like pretty. Uh, uh, it's not that interesting. I just like from the earliest time I was a kid before I spoke, I was singing, and I just love music more than anything. So for me, the reason I'm not still a performer is that I, uh, and this is also why I'm reluctantly pulling back from fiction writing even, is I uh, I really don't enjoy uh, the pursuit of success in industries like entertainment. And it took me, I'm 42, I learned this at like 39, I finally started like actually accepting this, that even though I love entertainment and I love entertaining, I will never, ever be happy if i'm pursuing entertainment as a source of income mm -hmm. so um i had to like pull the brakes um it was just ruining me my mental health wasn't able to hold these two very opposite ideals in my mind and so it goes back to what you were what we've been talking about essentially the whole time which is uh the people who are gatekeeping so to speak because i kind of don't like that term but it still sort of applies they yeah. seem to not be as interested in art and uh 
and ingenuity as those of us like yourself who are artists and ingenuity driven entertainers. Yeah, well, so it, it, yeah. it gets back to commercialization. So if it yeah. doesn't sell, they don't want to hear about it and they yeah. don't want to even enter. The funny thing is it it's just like um, the breaking bad uh, analogy that you did there. Right. So it, it, you would, you could even apply that to this idea of entertainment. So until you're, you know, breaking, let's say Breaking Bad was the good thing in the entertainment industry. Until you break bad, they don't even want to talk to you, right? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and once everybody else says, oh, wow, that's something, and then it can, it can generate, um, uh, you know, money for them, then they're all in. Oh, yeah, this is the best thing ever, right? And so it's kind of like false friends or, or anything like that. Um, and that's the way it is. And, and I guess maybe that's why... Uh, so many of those folks like yourself and other people I mentioned in bands and so forth kind of are drawn to this media uh, medium is because you don't, there's the gatekeeper, there's, there is a gatekeeper and that gatekeeper is basically paying for your internet connection. <laughs> <laughs> but that gatekeeper doesn't mind so much. They don't care what you're doing. And so therefore it's a very, very low bar compared to other things um, uh, to access, right? And you can put stuff out there and you'll get audience, you know, and it maybe not the, you know, we're not going to be, uh, have people called Swifties following us or anything, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, that's okay. Cause we're able to create, right. Yeah. Uh, and like, also, oh, go ahead. I just, I always think about too, like how weird some of the stories are like, uh, there's an author I always admired, um, Frank McCourt and he made it, made it like, super super famous in his late 70s and mm -hmm. it, as a kid that perplexed me because i'm like would that be worth it and now that i'm like not a kid i'm like well of course like why would you care when something happens because you're always right. in the middle like every day we wake up we're just the protagonist in the middle of a story yeah. um you know so well i think yeah I don't, I don't know about his story uh per se but i can only imagine that by the time he uh became famous it was kind of on his own terms because he probably was like yeah i'll do it or i won't do it you know and i yeah. think that's where a lot of us are i mean that's what uh, uh you know that's kind of how i pursue these things it's like i'll either do it or i won't do it and there's not really any push behind it or you know have to do something or anybody saying you know if you don't do this you're gonna be you'll be nobody kid you'll be nobody in this thing we're gonna run you out of town um, you know, you just do what you want. And I think that's probably part of the attraction for people uh, is to do that. Plus, I, there's not, you know, and you know this, there's nothing better if you can do both and, you know, support yourself and do what you like. And then you have your family and and you can uh, be with them as well and, and have quality uh, time together. There's nothing better than both. I, I can't imagine cashing that in for something else um you know that would be terrible yeah. i mean it sounds like it would be great but i think i, I would be devastated if that were to have happened uh, i mean look at the evidence of like very few people who make it seem happier than those of us who air quotes haven't made it and uh you know i mean there's case studies that are outliers but elvis presley marilyn monroe they were addicted to drugs. They were obsessed with like their image, you know, even Robin Williams. I've read his biography. His life sounds pretty tragic. Um, right, it's, yeah. it's, and these people give so much to us. Uh, you know, I could even, I don't know 
anything about Taylor Swift except what everyone knows, like her name's all over. But right. she actually strikes me as someone who might make it, like like as a happy person. I can't, you know, say for sure, but I, I'm I'm rooting uh, for people like you her. You never know. I thought example. Whitney Houston had it all together. Oh so my go gosh, figure. that's a great example. <laughs> that's a no. That's a really, uh, yeah. And so I, you know, I think like people who um, I know a few people who are like somewhat famous, and they all say that uh, the perks are awesome, but there's like a dark side to it that they wouldn't wish on anyone. And uh, mm-hmm. most of these people stopped before they got even higher because of that darkness, you know? Yeah. That's so. interesting. Yeah. So do you think, um, do you think that it's kind of a balance for you? So you're balancing all these things in your life. I mean, is that, um, do you, I guess, think about that consciously? Yeah. And I thought a lot about this. Uh, the only thing I would accept fame for would be um, helping to inspire a great revolution. And I don't mean like Mao or Lenin. I mean, more <laughs> like, uh, you know, we Gandhi is now a symbol for a peaceful conflict resolution, you know, that kind of thing. Like if I could, um, like, for example, with my son, if I could spearhead a movement that would teach people that, uh, Okay, I'm going to make a political analogy, even though I hate to. Right now, there's mm-hmm. a huge fight on the internet and in modern society about like Palestine versus Israel. And I actually right. don't have a dog in the fight. My dog in the fight is the dog that doesn't fight. And so it's like extra hard for me to watch this because all I care about is teaching people to not seek revenge. And that revenge mm-hmm. is just a cycle that begats more revenge. So what's the right. point? Like, if you, you know, so my son is not with me. And it, it literally every day it pains me. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. pretend that I don't think about it. But the difference is the way I think about it has changed, which is um, he's not mine and he's not hers. He's him and it's his life. And so I'm still being a good father by not uh, providing like trauma and stress into his life as far as like having this dad who's sending you know royal police to his parents' house to investigate something or like mm-hmm. lawyers. And, you know, I... I Instead, they're going to say whatever they're saying to him. I have no idea. For all I know, they don't say anything negative. But Mm -hmm. whatever they're telling him, I'm not. And I'm not, like, participating. And so that's what I would ask anyone listening is, like, if you really think about it, take both sides. Don't take, again, this is one example, but, like, Palestine or Israel. How about, like, humans? How about you just are on the side of humanity and you root for a de-escalation of violence across the board? Same with Iran, same with Russia and Ukraine, Mm -hmm. same with Turkey, like all these places in the world. So that would be, I would risk what we're talking about, which is the bliss of being time poor. I mean, sorry, time rich. Um, Like I do what I want. I make my own schedules. I I have tons of time spent with my family. Um, I don't have a private jet, but I also am not beholden to constantly flying around the country on a private jet to be places with people who aren't my family. <laughs> people you may or may not want to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. Exactly. That's interesting. So, you, so on the family side of things, so what do you, there's a, you got into this a little bit on the philosophy of, of family. And I think you hit upon a point that I found interesting because it, it kind of jives with what I think. So, because you talked about your son, even though he's not with you, he's not yours and he's not your uh, ex-wives. He's himself, right? Mm-hmm. And that's interesting because I think a lot of people, I mean, not that they think of children as possessions necessarily, but they think of them as something to shape, right? 
Yeah. And I've always thought, no, they will emerge. Yeah, yeah. Right? I'm, I mean, they're not I mean, going to... Totally, you're not, yeah. I mean, you may end up happenstancely, if that's even a word, by happenstance, uh, have some influence, but the reality is they're going to emerge and they're going to be their own person no matter what you do. Now, you can, you know, beat your head against the wall and try to make them in your image or something, but um, the reality is that's that's just not going to happen. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, first of all, I completely agree. And I think you stated it really eloquently. So um, I would only add to it or I would only add support to it by saying that it's weird that we um, uh, I remember when when Mitt Romney was running for president in 2012, people tried to like say that he he was um, he was responsible for his grandfather's actions. And I remember just like my jaw hitting the floor because I was like, right. what an absurd argument. Like Mitt Romney's not qualified to be president because his grandfather was a polygamist who lived in Mexico. Like what? And then, and then other people were like, and his dad's one of the greatest governors of Michigan. And I'm like, both don't apply. Like your right. parents. And, and you know, when I brought up uh, maybe Trump and Biden had like parents who really sent them off kilter. I didn't mean that in a blame game way i was saying that to like provide support for them so yeah i think it's weird that we in both directions we think we can control kids and then we think that kids are responsible for their parents they're not we're not um you are morally and ethically responsible for whatever you're morally and ethically responsible because that's an internal system like unless you have i, I religion is always hard for me because it's a faith-based movement so you have faith that if you do what these people are telling you, you'll go somewhere good or you won't go somewhere bad. Mm -hmm. I prefer to like look at hell is when your mind won't stop upsetting you. And so whatever your ethical system is, it should always be balanced against what makes you feel guilt and shame and mm -hmm. not what society tells you to feel guilty and shameful about, but like your own brain will do a good job of, you know? So, mm -hmm. yeah. So to me, like with my children, you know, I don't want them to suck because I want them to be able to like go on airplanes and not get kicked off. And like, you know, so I'm, <laughs> I'm like trying my best to like herd them away from the gutters on the bowling alley lane, but I'm not convinced that I'm the one throwing them down the lane, nor that I can control the spin or anything. I can just run to the sides and try to make sure they don't go in the gutter. That's like, I think parenting. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I've always kind of taken the approach that, um, uh, you know, they're going to have a lot of influences in their lives, right? And so I want my influence to be as positive as I can make it, or even if I, as I can stand to be. Uh, and so then that way, at least when they look back, they'll say, you know, my dad wasn't a terrible person. Uh, you know, and, and then if they decide to take on some of that, then that's their choice, right? Mm -hmm. But not yeah. that you're forcing it on them and then um, they'll go, you know, they'll do all kinds of stuff. I always find it uh, puzzling, at least at the very least. I don't know if you've encountered uh, any of this, but when, you know, like, I don't know, let's just say uh, you're, let's say your father was, uh, you know, a car salesman and you're going to, you know, Mike, Mike, you're going to grow up and be a car salesman, just like your old man, you know? And I've always thought that's that's kind of a uh, it's very outdated nowadays, but it's kind of weird. I'm like, why in the world would would you think that? 
You know, why would you think that that would be good to to keep pushing? I mean, obviously, that was however you ended up there is a whole other story. But you know, they have their own paths to take, and so rather have rather than than be restrictive, be open, and and they'll find the hopefully a, you know their path or maybe even a, a better path. Who knows? It's interesting. It's very but, interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, cause you got one on the way. So, I mean, all these things are got, I mean, you actually got a couple of kids, so it's not like this is the first rodeo, but you got to keep thinking about it. Cause they're all so different, you know? Yeah. Um, well, that's also mind blowing. What you just said. <laughs> like, yeah, it, you you would think they'd all be the same because uh, you know the the genetic material didn't change uh, in the uh, creation, but yeah, all so different on their on the way they handle the world and and see yeah. the world and so forth. It's wild. It's very wild. Um, uh, so let me switch gears just a little bit here. Sure. And um, let's let's spin back. So you're. Why did you decide? So you got uh, MikeyUp.com uh, and you got your stuff out there and so forth. And you got Coffin Talk. And so, I mean, why did you start doing all that? I mean, what was the moment where you said, I want to do this? You know, was um, there some kind of epiphany or was it just gradual? Yeah, no, it was um, it was May of ni- 1991. And I heard the song Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I just thought I can do this. Like not I'm Kurt Cobain, not I'm better than Nirvana, but just I can put my emotions and passion into music and help other people feel as good as this makes me feel. Cause that album, never mind, like changed my life. And it, I bought a guitar like a month after it and my whole life just changed. And, uh, and then I had a similar experience with, um, with reading the book um, 1984 in high school. So that was the first Mm -hmm. time it happened with literature. And then uh, the first time it happened with film was when I saw the movie Clerks in the theater in like 1993 (laughs) or 94. Cause I remember the same thing. Like I can do this. This guy just took a black and white camera. He got his friends together. He's hilarious. He wrote a script. So I made a movie when I was 16, I made albums and I just started, I I love doing everything. I, I made cartoons. I've made, uh, music videos. I, I write novels. I write nonfiction books. I, I just, um, I have a passion to create. And then like we already talked about, I also had a passion for being recognized for it. And that was very unhealthy and unhelpful, but it's also very natural. So I would never tell a young person, like, don't look forward to that. Don't think about that. I would just say, if you overvalue that, it will crush you. Even if you get it, it will crush you. Right. Oh yeah. It's like a no win yeah. type situation. Right? Yeah. There's never an end. I mean, like I said, I read that book on Robin Williams and like, it was never enough. The night he won his Oscar for best supporting actor, he was thinking, why didn't I get it for best actor? You know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing. Yeah, you're right. You kind of have to do, uh, uh, and I don't care kind of a situation with a lot of this. The, um, I was just, I read a little blurb, uh, about Bill Murray. Um, and, uh, somebody was who who had had known him after his success in South Carolina he goes to South Carolina uh for his his son uh, I think it is coaches basketball and he goes and vi- visits quite often and this person knew him in South Carolina and, and he's like the Bill Murray you see on the movies is the Bill Murray you see in person and I always think of Bill Murray not that he's a because he's in trouble here lately, but not that he's a good yeah. person or a bad person, but he has an I don't care attitude. 
right? And yeah. so these things aren't eating him up. He's just like, I'll make this movie, great. I get paid, great. I move on here, great. And he's. it doesn't seem like at least his persona is that he's not um, taking all these things to heart where you just mentioned Robin Williams in this, this Oscar, why didn't I do better? And it's like, you know, why didn't you just, you know, you got it. It isn't that good enough, you know. It, it may yeah. be too good, you know what I mean. I suppose people roll either way. They may say, "Oh, I got this, and I don't deserve it," but uh, that may be part of that uh, equation as well. How interesting! Um, but that's interesting. So you you were kind of a a, a product of your time there because I remember um, ne- when Nevermind came out. And again, the funny thing is, all three of these things. I'm not so sure on Orwell's book. But I think that's the story. Is all these are underdogs? Do you realize that? Yeah, that's funny. I never didn't realize mind, until never mind now. was never supposed to be that big yeah. of an album. Yeah. Uh, when it came out, I, 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 you know, vividly recall that because I was working at uh, college radio at the time. Oh, and, cool. And um, when it happened, and it was a college radio thing that went beyond college radio, and everybody yeah. was like, "What's going on?" And then Clerks is the same way, right? Um, it was, you know, the little engine that could uh, yeah. situation. Um, I don't know about, I can't remember my history on uh, 1984 book, but I don't think that it was very well received initially. No, it wasn't popular in its own time. And also yeah. Orwell was like on and off again famous. So yeah, that's it. really interesting. But, but you are a rooter for underdogs, which is fantastic. Oh my God. I, I mean, my favorite band ever is Pavement. So you're just actually making me blush a lot. I'm starting to see something... <laughs> Something very clearly that I probably should have seen like years ago. <laughs> well, I, I find I, personally, I always love the underdog. That's yeah. Uh, no matter if if you know if I don't have any um, interest in something it's competitive, right? Let's say doesn't matter what it is: baseball, football, basketball. I'm not really a sports person, but anytime people ask about that, I'm like, well, who's who's not supposed to win? And then that's yeah. exactly who I want to win. Yeah, I want the. I always want the underdog, and so you're, you're rooting for the underdog, maybe, uh, you know, subconsciously because all those things are underdog things. That's interesting. That's very and interesting. So do you and see yourself yeah. as an underdog? Um. Yes, and in a weird way, I just see that. Uh, I was born in the wrong time, but maybe I was born in the right time because maybe this time needs underdogs like me. Because again, I I cannot stress this enough. I do actually have a real clear goal in my life that I never had until about two or three years ago, which is I actually want to be there and to help us as a culture and a society as we evolve. Because I think that uh, I've spent a lot of time carefully coming up with this term. I'm sure it's a real term that other people use, but American capitalism has gone too far. Capitalism has not. And money in markets is not the problem. But this version of it is sick and everyone knows it like everyone on a on a meta level knows it and then on a subtle level knows it and uh yet we're all participating in it but the movement is is what you talked about which is inner internet entertainment and it's this uh it's this idea of all of us sharing a pie and not noticing who's eating how much of it just noticing that we're all eating which is very different from (laughs) yeah, yeah so no, no, you're right. I mean, you're right. That's that's the goal. I think, um, yeah. I mean, that that is a rabbit hole of the deepest proportions, right there. I mean, that's <laughs> a, yeah. No, and it's like, and I get. I mean, my dad and I like argue incessantly about this because uh, it's it's not a generational thing, but it is like, 
at what point is enough enough? Like how many like quarters of continuous profit can a company really make without exploiting people? Like it's not that you can't make profits. It's that this impossible demand for more and more and more with finite resources is, is crazy. And so I think we're seeing the end of it right now. Um, well, I just hope that, it's a soft. That's a an soft interesting point. Transition. I would say that the, we're going to get it. This, this is the, where we turn into all kinds of trouble with people, but it's toward yeah, the end. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you have to really <laughs> look for it. I, you know, you said finite resources. I think that at this point in time, I mean, obviously at this point in time, as opposed to any other time in the history of the world, we have such um, control over our resources that they, they, I mean, everything has an end, right? So they all are finite, but we don't, uh, we don't, we treat them as infinite still. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Very, so very wise. Literally you, we could change the economy to, so if you can imagine this is, and everybody would be mad at me for this, to where the base is different, right? So, so you think of ba the base is zero. Most people do, right? The base is zero. Well, zero can be anything you want. I mean, if you've done any kind of math, you realize that you can move things around how you want to make it fit the equation that you're working on, right? So make the base so that everybody eats. Literally, McDonald's mm -hmm. could feed everybody mm -hmm. currently in their current state. If, if you just got, you know, a meal that would feed you, I'm not saying you get to pick everything you want necessarily. Uh, they have the distribution. They have the all the mechanisms to create enough food, right? So, you know, why doesn't that become the base where you can you can pay for more if you want it, and then if you don't have the anything, then you can just get something to sustain you. And same thing with shelter, just raise the base. I mean, mm -hmm. it doesn't it it's not. People think of it as a, as a radical idea, but the reality is it's no different than raising the minimum wage or raising taxes yeah. or raising anything. You do all that because you're like, okay, the bottom isn't the bottom anymore. We need to make a new bottom. Well, that's what we need to do. We make a new bottom so that everybody can survive. Cause, yeah. Because we, our... we, harness, we harness these resources, and we can do an even better job if we looked at it in that regard, I think. I, I totally agree. I was dumbfounded in high school when I read The Grapes of Wrath because I thought it was fiction when they said that they were burning food to keep prices higher. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just crazy. I cannot imagine. And yet I live in a world where I see it actually all the time where you would just tell someone like, keep walking. There's no food here for you, even though you have food. Like right. you do have food for them. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have there's government yeah. cheese and warehouses all over the country. For gosh sakes, they make so much cheese because it, it becomes this whole um, spinning plates metaphor to keep the people producing milk, to keep the people producing grain. And we have grain stores and we have we have gas stores. We have all this, yeah. you know. And so, um, yeah, you know, anyway, raise raise the raise the bottom is what I say. Rather yeah. And then uh, trying to maintain this kind of thing uh, that we're doing. Because some people would be perfectly happy with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, and it's interesting because I know I hate being told what to do and being forced to do anything. So I'm never going to be a proponent of forcing people to do what we're talking about. But I think sure. that uh, I think that we could just be better. I mean, I think you really summed it up. You said it so well. It's just everyone could just do better. We all know it. Like myself included. I'm not any yeah. better. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. 
there's still more I could give, even though I think I'm a giving person, there's still more. We need yeah. to do like a, you know, um, this is akin to it's a little bit of a weird analogy, but it's akin to the, the Seinfeld Schindler's list thing. <laughs> I could give just one more. I could sell this ring and go to one more Broadway show. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, uh, that's what it is. I mean, we all just have to think, uh, uh, like Judge Reinhold in that episode, you know, Barney was <laughs> Barney was his dad or whatever. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, on that note, we'll wrap yeah. it up. Uh, Mike, MikeyOp.com for all of Mike's stuff, uh, and then also go listen, look up Coffin Talk, and take a listen to it. It's fantastic. So, but uh, this has been uh, my conversation with Mike Oppenheim, and we appreciate it, Mike, and. Uh, We'll see you all next time.